All right, welcome back to yet another episode of Wet and Dry, the Kalking Podcast with Adrian and Bren. Today, reporting out of Zambia with my good friend Andy Brunner. Everybody who's into kayaking has most definitely heard this name before. He is going fast in races, is always winning the biggest smile competition on the river and likes to travel the world. Andy, welcome. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I can't wait to talk about different things, about racing, paddling on the Zambezi and whatsoever. And whatever comes up in our mind. For the listeners today uh, who might not see us, we are in a very interesting, very interesting situation right now, trying to podcast of a good quality. Currently, we're sitting on a bed with a mosquito net over us and also a big blanket over us. It is currently 30-something degrees. We are sweating, but that's all right. Everything to get the content your ways. So yeah, let's get going, Andy. As always, this is year number five, where we find ourselves on the Zambezi. It become like a yearly winter escape to the Zambezi. Tell me about the reasons why you love this place so much, because I most definitely have talked about it a bunch on the podcast before, why I love it. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to be here with you, because I remember my first time was with you, and since that, every year mm -hmm. we were here together. And um, before I came here, I talked to you, in Tibet about winter plans and then you and Bren were like, oh, we're going to the Zambezi. So I kind of just tagged along and then I did not expect myself to come to the same place every winter again and again, but just a mix of warm water, warm weather and the easy logistics, the good training ground just mm -hmm. made me come back like without even a single doubt. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, same here. Obviously, we're traveling so much throughout the year, so it's very nice to spend one month at the same bed, going kayaking on the same river, not having to worry about, you know, rain not happening, snow melt not happening, glacier melt not happening, the dam not releasing, whatever it is. Zambezi is always running. There's always guaranteed kayaking, which is amazing. But, I mean, we spoke about this earlier on the way to dinner. By this point, it is the obvious reasons, great kayaking, great gym, all of that. But also by this point, we've made so many amazing connections with the people here. And I cannot stress enough how amazing the Zambian people are, how much joy in life they bring. And I mean, not an hour goes by without me laughing with one of the locals and just having fun because they're so amazing. And that kind of carries more weight by this point than I first thought it would. Like, I'm genuinely stoked to come back. And whenever I come back, I realize all the small details I've forgotten why I like this country so much and kind of fall in love with it, with it again over and over. Yeah, I don't know how it started, but at some point I just got a new nickname from all the porters and they call me Mapipi. <laughs> and then that, that nickname spread it throughout the Zambian kayaking scene. So there is like pretty much no hour when we go kayaking in the morning already we get picked up and there's someone like my pee pee and then we <laughs> we hike down my pee pee and then last time even we paddled into number yeah. nine and then from the shore one of the rough guides just screamed my pee pee <laughs> <laughs> just bombing down number nine that was pretty funny so yeah it's pretty cool to to have that connection to all the people here always have a good time pretty fun yeah but then I mean, tell me, for me, the Zambezi is so beautiful because here I can really work on my free ride kayaking, meaning I'm using the current, I'm going for kickflips, all kind of down river freestyle tricks I want to work on to then use in the next season on, on different stuff, on waterfalls, different rapids all over the world, such kind of things. But 
you really focused the last couple of years in extreme races, right? So mm -hmm. maybe let's talk about how you use the Zambezi for that as a training ground and what do you do there? Yeah, actually the Zambezi kind of made me start going on trips for just training. Before that, going mm. on trips was always just about like kayaking, um, never going in the gym and just like a normal kayaking trip somewhere. And then on the Zambezi, there was always the opportunity to go to the gym super easily. And there is flat water sections in between the rapids. It's just like a playground for training. You can do whatever you want, like from basic endurance up to sprints, intervals, trim, whatsoever. And then I started doing that and I realized how much it helps for racing to combine hard white water with the fitness training. And then realizing that, I kind of tried to always get that combination of training and kayaking on my trips. And yeah, the Sambesi is just like the paradise for that because, you know, there's always changes in my training plan, but no matter what those changes are, it's always easy to fit it into the Sambesi program mm -hmm. because there's so much, so much possibilities that you can train different things on the water, in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I first met you, I think you were maybe 17 or something on the Vellabrücke in your original 9R still. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even back then you already like to go fast, but, but kayak races wasn't really the number one thing you were striving for, right? Totally. Yeah. So you, you traveled the world, you went kayaking, hot, white water, and then eventually you transitioned into kayak racing. Can you tell me, maybe do you know when that happened? Was there like a certain moment or something like that? And what made you go for that? Because so far I've mostly had people on the podcast who are not that much into racing, maybe besides Vegger. Obviously, Brennan and myself are not so much into racing either. So for me, it's a super cool opportunity to talk about the other side and the other mm -hmm. perspective because um, it's easy to hate on, obviously. So I'll be super interested to hear your thoughts and what kind yeah, of brought you Yeah, here we are together on some Zambezi, having a great time together, <laughs> yeah. doing the same stuff. So yeah, that's um, another cool thing about the Zambezi. Um, Well, yeah, there is one big moment because I've always joined kayak races whenever I could and it was fun. But then one year, it was the first year I actually trained with my coach, Gregor Becker. And um, then I went to Georgia. Mm -hmm. It was 2018. They started a European Cup. It was the only year actually where it happened, unfortunately. But I was the first um, race of that European Cup. And I went there and I won that race and it was the first international race I won. And that kind of lightened up the fire even more because I was like, damn, like I, I haven't expected that at all, like really not. And then I was there like winning that race was like, damn, that's insane. Super <laughs> cool. And then it kind of, it got me there. I got a bit addicted and um, the whole season, that's also when I stopped university um, pretty much completely and just focused on those races this year. And it went great that season. Like I even, that was the first season I kicked asses like of famous racers like Eric De Giel, Mikhail Eremazza. I was, that was a crazy change that year. I was, yeah, just going wild. And then in the end, I won that European Cup. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, I want to I wanna see how... Because like, you know, there was just one winter of training. I was like, well, if I just like focus in that more, how fast can I get? And I just like, since that, just um, try to get faster and faster every year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you are getting faster every year. It's so cool to see you focusing on basically the big question, what makes my boat go faster? And then going for that, whether it is 
your legendary paddle you're making yourself mm -hmm. with your coach. I think people around Europe have seen that on the water before. It's the absolute Frankenstein paddle and you'd be scared to use it. But Andy makes it work on even hard white waters, trusting it. And when it comes to lightweight, self-made, dry pants for races, outfitting your kayak individually. <laughs> like You really do not leave any stones untouched to make sure you're going as fast as possible. And the, I mean, the latest paddle, sorry to interrupt, but the latest paddle we made is like kind of a very wild experiment. <laughs> <laughs> we did that early season. And then my coach was like, yeah, you know, maybe you even paddle it on the Zambezi um, in winter. And it was kind of like as a joke. And it was like, yeah, uh, no, I don't think so. And I got used to this paddle. And here I am, paddle number nine now every day in, with this paddle. And it works great. So, yeah. It's we have awesome. to put a picture of this paddle. You have to imagine <laughs> it's like a wing paddle but only like 70% finished laminated. And there's also <laughs> some foam in there to make it wider. <laughs> and the bicycle clamped for the split system. <laughs> exactly. Like you use a clamp from a bike saddle to put it together. Left uh, left angled, it's beautiful. 65 degrees. Yeah, I think the, the shaft is from like a Chinese carbon store or something, <laughs> yeah. right? Carbontube.com. <laughs> 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 it's a wild product, but it's 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 working, you know, and I love to see progression in any shape and form of kayaking. And that's definitely one seeing you really pushing for that and, and moving things forward is amazing for me to see. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what you do. That's what you're striving for. Kayak racers have brought you all over the world, have, I think, gave you a great reputation. You're obviously an amazing guy with always a big smile. The people in the States love you. I will say... I think you are responsible that most of the Americans think that the Europeans are always uber hard training. <laughs> <laughs> I heard some fun stories there from people in the US. <laughs> mm -hmm. When I was on the little white doing like a two hour basic endurance at Drano. <laughs> at the, ta at the takeout lake. <laughs> the takeout lake. Oh, that's Twice a, a week. That's a tough uh, crowd to do that in. But I don't know, like they never really gave me shit. They were just like, well, yeah, that's that's Andy doing his flat water, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're making it work and it's amazing to see. Um, and yeah, I want to come to this topic I've briefly touched in earlier episodes when I was talking about different styles of kayaking and how the extreme racing has developed. Uh, in my eyes, it kind of went from maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if you were able to lay down a clean run down a race course, you would be in the top 10, you would be a fast racer, you would be on podium. And uh, that was kind of it. But then in the last years, especially, I could really sense a big shift of even technique nowadays it's not even close to be podium places if you just lay down a quick run like uh, to me mm. it really seems like technique has adapted and people paddle different in order to go fast you as a full-grown racer what would you what do you say about that how do you see that mm, i mean it's still a very young discipline kind of because mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm not wrong i think it all started with the sick line and 2017 was the last year with, wasn't that like the 10 years anniversary? So it all started some, somewhere around 2007, 2007 was the first one. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that's not too long ago. And I remember the first years, a lot of slalom kayakers went there because it was after their season mm -hmm. and they were going for podium places, even like trying to, to win. And there has been a lot of slalom kayakers on the podium. Because back then, the creek boat paddlers, they did not train that much. So even though the 
those slalom kayakers, they didn't really paddle much in creek boats, but still they were on top places just because of their fitness. Mm -hmm. And then there was kind of like the, the first generation of whitewater races with Sam Sutton, Sam, uh, Jamie Sutton, Jared Sarasols, Aniol, um, those guys, they started to train for that specific a little bit and thought about it more. And then they were faster than the slalom kayakers. And then there were more and more of those people with Dane and so on. Um, and if you look at the races now, only slalom kayakers that spend a fair amount in a creek boat have a chance. But like slalom paddlers that don't do that, they have um, like almost no chance to end up in the top 10. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool to see. Now people combine the technique and the fitness and specialize for racing more and more. Unfortunately, the material hasn't really grown too much because if you look at like the gangster, mm -hmm. Sam already paddled the gangster like years back. Yeah. And like this year or last year um, at the world championship, the top three places were in a gangster still. That's wild to think about. That yeah. is wild, yeah. I think it's just because um, the boat designers can only make boats that are nice to paddle so people buy it. That's kind of what blocks to the boats to become more specialized for racing. Because if the boat would be faster, obviously it would be um, weird to paddle. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that that is going to change over the next years. There is a few people that are very interested in that. I am also involved in a project with like uh, making a faster boat, thinking about that a lot. So um, also now with my paddle mm -hmm. and stuff, I think um, first step was the fitness. Now I think material is following. And um, yeah, I think the sport is still growing and people specialize more and more, which involves fitness, technique and material, everything. And also uh, your mental game everything combined mm -hmm. let me backtrack here i mean obviously there were kayak races before sickline thinking about the green river race which just had its 25th anniversary True. race year there's been the great falls race in the u.s which has been going on for a long time they used to have the camel trophy in on the west coast but i feel like a race where an international mix of the best kayakers would come together to really battle it out for the who is the fastest kayaker down a certain section i feel like sickline definitely has done so much for the sport and i like the, the your point about the salon kayakers thinking about how alexander grimm for example <laughs> won that and i remember watching the slalom boys train and you would be kind of scared when you would see them above the Vela Brooker. You'd be like, I don't know if these people belong here. Mm -hmm. But then they go into competition mode and just smash down the race but course. I think when Alexander Grimm raced down a section, even the Vela Brooker was scared of him. hammering <laughs> <laughs> down that yeah. course. Just like without compromises. Insane. Insane. Impressive. <laughs> and then, yeah, as you say, like the, the Whitewater boys caught up. I mean, Sam Sutton, I think, is undoubtedly the king of the Wellerbrücke, having won Sickline, I believe, four times, mm -hmm. always looking so smooth and kind of making it look effortlessly. Super, super impressive kayaker, and especially on that section. But then, for example, yeah, Joe Morley coming from Slalom, mm -hmm. kind of taking a dip into extreme racing, doing very well, winning Sickline for the first time, and everybody was talking, ah, oh, he just got lucky, he's just a Slalom kayaker. Mm -hmm. Then focusing on creaking, doubling up his win the year after at high flows, um, so then these people also specialized more. And then you had, the, you know, people like George who were just dominating for a few mm. years. And then kind of always passing on the front. Obviously now Dane, the guy who does it all, has been up there, has been pushing for many years. 
Um, it's super interesting to see for me also how this, especially how this section of river, which obviously now has changed entirely, if you haven't seen the video, Nutztal on Sanders, um, has changed the sport so much, has brought the material forwards and kind of also, I think, involved the market. I remember the Letman Granate came mm -hmm. out, Joe won Sickline twice in it, all of a sudden that kayak sold great. The gangster came out, Sickline was one in it, everybody was all of a sudden mm -hmm. using a gangster. Like it's, it's, I think it still is a thing which is kind of setting momentum when it comes to market and kayaks. Like whatever kayak does well on a race, I feel like also does well in sales afterwards and people are generally stoked about the boat. For now, yeah. But I think now if you dive deeper in that, um, there will be a point like um, where it's just not nice to paddle to like booth big drops or like do eddy moves, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, if it's just like less rocker, maybe narrower or whatsoever, there will be a point if it if you want to make it faster, it's definitely weirder and less fun to paddle and then it probably wouldn't sell as much. Yeah, I mean, this is opening up kind of deep rabbit hole. There has been many discussions about material. Should we allow, allow carbon race boats? What's up with the nine foot rule for maximum length for a kayak? Why is there a minimum weight? Why is there these and that certain safety regulations when it just comes down to making the, the, the fastest kayak? And I'm honestly quite a, quite undecided what to think of it because I do see the point of just focusing on making the fastest kayak possible and just making that the main goal and putting everything second. At the same time, I'm aware whitewater kayaking is a very small sport and trying to generate money through boat designs, you have to sell a certain amount of boats, a certain number. And that's probably not going to happen with super specific race boats. At the same time, I myself are wondering how fast can you go, especially on the old Bella Brooker. You know, we had these these course records, I think it was 53 seconds. Was it 53, 54, somewhere around somewhere there. there. You know, like how fast could you physically go if you were to make kayaks longer, if you were to ditch the safety regulations if we were to change the material, which again, all of a sudden is a way, way harder entry for people to get into the sport if you just can't throw down six grand on a carbon Kevlar boat. Um, super hard for me to make my mind up with that. Mm. I'm kind of happy to be on the sideline. I'm like, hey, racing is cool. It's not my main thing. I love to watch it. So I'm I'm pretty blessed. I don't need to have an opinion. Um, what's your point? Do you have a standpoint? Yeah, I, I actually do. I feel like there has to be a certain um, set of rules that puts the frame so that the discipline, the sport stays the same. Like, let's let's think about downriver. If you would allow downriver boats, they're currently, I think, like five meters long, somewhere there. If you would be like, oh yeah, 10 meters boat would be faster. Let's race in 10 meter boats. Mm -hmm. The whole technique would change. It would be a different discipline. So I'm totally happy with like a certain length limit because otherwise it would just be pushing the limit on how long can the boat be and you would still be able to paddle it. And that doesn't feel right. And the kayaks kind of um, got to that point because they work in whitewater. And if we want to race in whitewater, I appreciate that. So like a certain length limit somewhere around that nine foot-ish, um, I appreciate but then within that frame, it's nice to experiment to get like the fastest shape because obviously it has to be nice to maneuver in white water. Otherwise, 
you will be slow. And that's the cool thing about it because um, you cannot just like plug everything, even though you have like the longest water line and the fastest thing, you get one wave on your chest and you lose a second immediately. Mm -hmm. So that's the cool thing about it. You want to get a boat that is easy to paddle yet still super fast. And that compromise, I think, is for each athlete. Um, that's the interesting thing about it because also not everyone might be able to race the same boat. There's different, different techniques, approaches, and so on. So I would be um, super stoked to see getting the most out of kayaks within a certain regulation of weight limit and length limit, but not be like it has to be from the market and you can paddle the Indus seven-day Indus Gorge <laughs> and that boat you need to race on a whitewater race. That's a little bit too much for me. Yeah, too far away. I see uh, that. I mean, what you just said about not every kayaker can use every design, I think it's a great point. To me, kayaking is so amazing because it seems like there's a lot of different ways to success, whether you're big and light kayaker, big and tall kayaker, small and light, small and mm -hmm. heavy, whatever it is. Like there's so many different body types to fit certain boats. There's so many design approaches behind the kayak, why it works, why it is fast, why it paddles nicely. And then having every kayaker develop their own style and then finding the kayak, which is matching their own personal way of kayaking. I think mm. it's a super cool process and is the reason why I love kayaking so much because there's not like a, a set, you know, not mm. a set body type, not a set kayaking design, which is the way forward. There's like so many different ways to success. And why not put that on the next level? So like get even more specialized so people will have different boats, but you find the one that really fits you that well that you can just hammer down a course, still rely on the boat that it moves nicely, mm -hmm. but in the end you have a faster time. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, where are we going to draw the line when it comes to safety, for example? Like, for sure, it will be faster to use a lighter kayak, which would maybe mean you get rid of certain safety uh, safety features, which is great if you have somebody in the boat who is an amazing kayaker and does not get into a situation where you might need those safety features, such example, like a grab loop, which mm. is unnecessary weight. But what happens when then you have all these people trying to be fast who might get and end up in a situation where they do need safety features and then they don't have it? Um, no, I agree with like stuff like the weight, there obviously has to be a limit. And I personally don't really mind whether that would be 14, 18, or 20, mm -hmm. um, because everybody is in the same situation because it's always that weight. But with the shape, I think people, it, it would be nice to see boats coming out that no one paddles on the Indus, but just like four races that I would like to see. But yeah, I totally agree. It doesn't need to be five kilogram boat and then super fragile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we are getting there thinking about the original Niner, Kind of was a boat mostly developed for racing, right? Totally, yeah. Pretty, pretty hardcore. Even back then, I think it was one of the early like uh -huh. true race boats. Sure. And then what else have we had on the market, which was like purely a race boat? I mean, your project, we can't talk about it much, but mm -hmm. people will see. Not too much, not too much actually, because the Gangster was also like an amazing creek boat. I would say the Gangster was race focused, but that's also again like seven years old by this point, uh -huh. six or seven years. But in the last couple of years, I feel like boat manufacturers have been focusing on half slices on just stout mm -hmm. creek boats but i haven't seen like a full-on race kayak mm -hmm. uh, for a hot minute 
Um, the which, ninja is like a, a new one that kind of goes towards that direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, true. Which then also kind of leads me to the question, what's happening with the races? Next year, we had lots of cancellations to many different reasons. Obviously, 2023's Earth's Trophy being cancelled was a big bummer for everybody around. Um, what do you think we're going to see in the race community now that basically the next eight months don't contain any races? Have you heard what's the word? What are people up to? Are they training? Are they changing sports? Are they crying in depression? What's happening with the people who mm. can't race now? Um... I think since the, the races usually are organized by private people doing that like in their free time, a lot of volunteer-based stuff, mm -hmm. um, it comes and goes in waves. So the past years, we were actually lucky. We had a, a good amount of races each year. Um, but like if I try to remember, let's say, seven years ago, mm -hmm. I don't really remember many races in Europe other than sick line and still people trained for that one race only and times got faster and faster each year people got like more specialized about it so it doesn't really take many races for people being motivated to push the limit because it's not too hard to maintain a certain fitness level um, and still think about next year's Earth trophy because it's not that far away True. i mean it's already in september um, so just like, I don't know, I think there's a lot of people thinking about that already, doing a little training, working on their fitness, um, adapting their technique, stuff like that. And then who knows, maybe in two years from now, there will be 10, 10 races over the season again. So I think it just comes and goes in waves. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, it does make traveling pretty easy if you have like a certain date set all over the globe with race events and you just know... You're going to do that race circuit and then you can structure the rest of your season like that. That was very nice. Even for me, like not caring about the races, but it was still an, an easy reason to go somewhere, you know, at least be close by. And then mm -hmm. that's where people are. That's where kayaking happens. Nowadays, I try to stay away and go kayaking elsewhere. But now nah, it's always a good time and it's a great vibe. Brings the community together. I have so much love. For example, for the old Sickline parties and now it's trophy parties. Like it really King of the Ups parties. King of the Ups parties. It really brings everybody together. And by spending so much time on such a short section of Whitewater, overanalyzing the smallest things, I genuinely believe people leave that race week or that race weekend being way sharper in their kayak because mm. they have actually really focused on small details where their blade sits, how they use the edge, mm -hmm. how they solve certain rapids. And it's just like a like a skill boost for your kayaking, yeah. whether you're racing or you're just attending and training and having fun out there. Also, it brings a lot of people of the community together. Since, um, like, if if you if you say like, let's go to Norway in June, people kind of spread out. But if there's like D one race course, at, like in Earth's Trophy, for example, everybody is there. You know, they don't really spread around, so everybody's there. Um, they catch up, they talk about the race and whatsoever. So like the week before a big race, it's always amazing to hang out there because there's all the the good racers in the community, people that are new to racing, learn from those people. And it always feels like a good thing um, for the kayak community in general, kind of like a, a get together in a way. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Andy, it's getting warm under our blanket. Before we wrap this up, 
top three tips from Andy Bruner for the Zambezi. Let hit me. Um, oof, let me think for a second. Top three tips for the Zambezi. Mm, bring a slicey boat. Mm -hmm. Way better than play boats because you can hit lines, stuff like that. That um, was actually the reason why I came here. Um, with play boats, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Um, bring a good spray skirt mm -hmm. because you don't want to have your skirt imploding. Mm -hmm. um, and number three. Hmm. It's not much. It's just such an easy life that everything is just so, so simple. There's not even three <laughs> things to think about. So it's actually only like bring a slicey boat, good spray skirt. That's all you need. And that's Grab it. a paddle and go have fun. It's um, it's really as simple as that. It's yeah. crazy, huh? Like what would what be your top three? I don't know. Bring, bring sun protection, bring a good water bottle on the river. And poo, bring a like a something to tie your your spray deck tied around your waist because ah, not gonna true. use a, a, a paddle jacket or anything like that. Like an old bicycle tube wrap around your waist. Something like that, yeah. Totally. But, I mean, you're totally right. Like me, just packing for this trip, I was home for like less than 24 hours, and I was just throwing things into my bag, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm pretty finished, but my bag is still very empty. <laughs> Something. And I also feel like I'm forgetting so many things. But then I, yeah. I get here and I didn't. You just don't need anything. You wear the no same sleeping board bag, yeah. no mattress, nothing, no dry suit. It's insane. Yeah. You wear the same board shot for a month. You're in your Uh, slides or flip-flops or whatever you're barely wearing any shirts you definitely don't need a jacket or a hoodie it is too easy it is too good to be true and i will most likely be back for many more years spending my winter out here because it's just so good and i cannot wait to hit the river tomorrow <laughs> especially now hearing that there is a good chance that the dam um, project is pushed back makes me even happier and i also think i will come back every year as long as we have the chance to come here Which reminds me, talking about get-togethers, this is also a great place for get-togethers, just like kayak racing. We had over 400 kayakers here last year. Like, hostels full of kayakers, everybody hanging out, having a great time. Huge thing for the community, super fun to see. And uh, yeah, if you haven't been to the Zambezi, make sure to put it in the list. It's a special one. Andy, thank you very much. I am sweating. I need to go take a shower, jump in the pool. Drink some water. Drink some water. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Thank we will guys. hear you and talk to you next week. Until then, go shred the river. Have a good one. Bye-bye.